As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday MBA, interviews with best-selling authors, innovative thought leaders, and top-shelf executives, all sharing their best techniques and tips that you don't learn in business school. I'm your host, Kevin Crane, and I'm so pleased that you're listening. Our guest today is Derek Lusk. Derek is Head of Executive Assessment at Air Consulting, and Derek helps Fortune 500 organizations design executive succession plans. His area of expertise is using data and science to predict leadership effectiveness in the C-suite, and he has a strong track record of identifying leaders that can formulate a powerful vision and choose the right strategies that make a difference. Derek, welcome to Everyday MBA. You write an ongoing blog for Psychology Today, and in your most recent article, you, you warn executives to stop using work experience to hire executive leaders. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question and almost a controversial or, or provocative point. You know, the first thing I would point out is that the number one question in organizational life is who shall rule. And a friend of mine is known for saying that this is how political scientists see the question because they are primarily concerned with politics and so forth. So they see it as who shall rule. Whereas in my profession with what I do, we ask the question who should rule. And this is really the most important question in organizational life, right? Because countless studies show that leadership is more correlated with organizational performance and organizational effectiveness than Even the industry the company is in, which is, which is pretty wild, it is actually the single most important variable that determines company performance. So it's something that sort of needs to be top of mind for every executive in the organization. But the, the next question kind of following that is, how do you determine who should lead an organization? And this is typically done with looking at a resume, which is the background and experience point, and then also interviewing candidates. The problem with this is from a people analytics and really statistical perspective, these methods just don't predict who is going to do a good job in the role. There really isn't a reason to interview someone outside of seeing if you like the person, which has very little to do with actual leadership effectiveness. So mm. what we actually need to do is, as just businesses and people is stop trusting our instincts to some degree, right? Every, every, everything... Um, that we do, you know, it involves fast decision-making and intuition. And everyone thinks that they're intuitive about other people. 
just like everyone thinks they're a good driver and it, it, it actually just isn't true. These things are, are normally distributed. Likewise, there's very little reason to have background and experience, experience requirements of over five years. And the reason for that is research is pretty clear on this point. Executives learn the technical aspects of a job in five years in almost every type of business. It, it doesn't matter what the business unit is doing. They can learn the job in five years or, or really less. I think the reason for that is that we find that very senior executives have well above average IQs when we look at the aggregate statistics on this. And a lot of the job is knowledge-based as opposed to you know, learning how to shoot free throws in basketball or, or something like that. Now, again, I'm not saying experience doesn't matter at all, but what I am saying is that five years is the sweet spot and everything after that is overkill. And, and really the research is quite clear on this point. It's just that, that nobody knows it. So if a resume is, is not enough and the interview process is not enough, at least in terms of just getting a gut feel or intuition about how someone might fit, what do we do instead? How do I measure those things or evaluate those things that matter when it comes to hiring an executive leader? I think the most important thing to do is consider both qualitative and quantitative data. Qualitative data is more interviews and you know other people's accounts of their performance is what I like. Um, we call those 360 degree surveys where we actually get, especially if it's an internal leader, we're able to ask those around them and say, hey, what do you think of this person's leadership style? Are they doing a good job on these certain aspects of leadership? And you can get some qualitative data by asking open-ended questions there. And then you can also get quantitative data by having them fill out either surveys about the individual or even having the leader um, complete personality assessments that are you just want to make sure they're statistically sound and that they're reliable, valid, and they actually predict, you know, aspects of, of leadership performance. What about someone coming in from outside of the organization? Uh, you say that organizations should place a greater weight on evaluating leadership style in the context of strategy, culture, and team dynamics. So someone coming from the outside, how do we do that? How do we evaluate and, and understand that leadership style without the background information that we might have with an internal candidate? Yeah, there's two things I would say here. One is the focus should be on minimizing human biases and using as many objective assessments as you can. Um, so typically, if it's from the outside, we can use predictive personality assessments, critical thinking tests, and and different sort of quantitative data points. As far as tailoring leadership style to the context or the situation or the strategy culture and team dynamics of the organization. I think this goes back to the age old question of universalism versus relativism, meaning is leadership and human performance stable across situations or relative to a specific situation or ecology. And I would say two things on this point. One is the fundamental aspects of leadership don't change from situation to situation or, or really time period to time period for that matter. Leadership is first and foremost influencing a group of people to work together toward a vision and objectives. And on this point too, when we look at the research on this, there are four main aspects to being a good leader that transcend situations. And they are 
One, you have to be pretty good at relationships oriented leadership. That's enabling, empowering, inclusivity, um, psychological safety, you know, fostering uh, teamwork and things like that. The second is performance. It's more about, you know, driving results, getting things done, setting lofty goals, holding people accountable, holding yourself accountable, things like that. And then the last two are the, the dichotomy between strategy and execution that we often see talked about in MBA programs. Strategy is vision, it's innovation, it's risk-taking, it's adaptability, and it's change. It's the future, whereas execution is the present. It's more about structure, stability, Six Sigma processes, um, you know, standard operating procedures and so forth and efficiency. Now I will say there is some variation though across situations. And that's where you get into the, the relativism point. Followers expect different things from their leaders based on their ideology about the world and what they think leadership should look like. Meaning that leaders need to be able to flex between, you know, the four dimensions that I just noted based on the situation. Some followers want extreme structure and clarity while others actually want to create things and be left alone. So can the leader lead in both of these situations? Some meetings that the leader goes into are about brainstorming and innovating while others are about, Hey, how can we institutionalize a process? Can the leader do both of these things? And leaders need to know, you know, what the situation calls for and lead in that way. Hi, this is Susan Steinbrecher, co-author of Heart-Centered Leadership, and you are listening to Everyday MBA with Kevin Crane. It's time to reach new customers in a new way, and you can do that when you become a guest on Everyday MBA. Get your subject matter experts heard or get yourself heard on the show and talk about your ideas and advice. Talk about strategies and tactics that will make a difference in our changing business environment. Find out more at everyday-mba.com slash guest. That's everyday-mba.com slash guest. You're listening to Everyday MBA. We are speaking with Derek Lusk. Derek is head of executive assessment at Air Consulting. We're here talking about leadership effectiveness, how to find it, how to measure it, how to improve it. And Derek, you have a new book coming out early next year called Overcoming Bad Leadership in Organizations. What's one bad leadership trait that most organizations have that we need to overcome? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I would say almost universally organizations promote extroverted and charismatic people who are not actually good at leadership. So what we see is people getting promoted who talk a lot, suck the oxygen out of the room, they're overconfident, they aren't open to feedback, and they have these characteristics that resemble what in psychology we call the dark triad. So you have narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism, and so forth. And that's actually an objective truth. The base rate of these characteristics is higher in senior leadership roles. And we see it in the data, even the data that, that we collect um, when we're doing succession planning and so forth. So when consulting with organizations, we differentiate between leadership emergence and effectiveness. 
and help their C-suite team or the talent management professional that we're working with really identify leaders that have charisma and social skill, but they can also lead well. And sort of by extension, we also help them with diversity, equity, and inclusion because we're, we're using objective data rather than human intuition to identify and develop effective leaders who are oftentimes, you know, overlooked because of their unassuming and, and humble nature. Well, it's no secret that a lot has changed over the last couple of years. The world has undergone a number of dramatic changes and disruptions as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you feel that leadership, leadership, leadership acumen has changed as a result of COVID? You know, this question comes up a lot as we think about the future. And I think the idea that leadership changes with really any event, COVID or otherwise, is only partially true. First, it, it's not true because leadership has been the same for 100,000 years. It's about influencing people to work together toward a common goal. 100,000 years ago, this was true in egalitarian bands. 10,000 years ago, this was true in kingdoms and chiefdoms centered around agriculture. And today it's true in a very complex business ecology. And Interestingly, business leaders often forget this point and overweight technical competence or business acumen, when in reality, as a business leader, you need to get people passionate, fired up, and working together as a group instead of surfing on the internet all day or, or free writing. And I, I like how, how uh, Elon Musk puts it, an organization is just a group of people trying to do something. And leadership and culture are the two mechanisms that get people to do this. And it's, it's actually always been that way. But I will also say that leadership has changed, not only, you know, with the pandemic, but even over the last 100,000 years, it, in our distant past, it used to be about being a physically imposing war general, right, with enough aggressiveness to attack and win against the enemy. And this is essentially guerrilla leadership, chimpanzee leadership, that's not too far off from our distant ancestors. And then it transitioned to intellectual leadership with the enlightenment in the 18th century and today's knowledge work. And I think moving forward, it will be more and more about empathy. Empathy allows a person to see things from another person's perspective and adjust based on the situation. And if you think about the global world we live in and where ideologies and cultures will continue to merge and we will continue to work on multicultural teams and be integrated. Leaders need to be able to lead all different types of people and leverage everyone's unique skill sets. And, and this takes empathy and adjusting your style based, based on the situation. Um, as far as COVID, by the way, it, I think it just put bad leadership on center stage for everyone to see. You know, leadership really matters mm -hmm. in a crisis. And some countries failed and some countries did well. And, and this was really decided by leadership and culture. We hear also about the notion of resilience a lot today. Your most recent article for the Harvard Business Review explores what you call the dark side of resilience. What do you mean by that? What is the dark side of resilience? Yeah, the, the dark side in general is often thought about in terms of selfishness, hedonism, the search for power, and so on. But I think this conceptualization misses key aspects of human psychology. Sure, you know, we think of the dark side as selfishness and, you know, 
getting ahead and you know it, it can be done in an extreme way and tilt over to the dark side but it's also related to competition and driving performance and just an overall more forceful leadership style which can be a good thing so instead of the dark side being sort of these selfish self-aggrandizing characteristics um egocentrism and narcissism narcissism and things like that I really think about it as psychological extremes and leadership extremes where a person takes their natural strengths too far to the point of weakness. The dark side of resilience is specifically about how powering through adversity can actually be damaging to one's well-being. On the one hand, you have, you know, philosophers throughout history who have said things like difficulties strengthen the mind as labor does the body or Nietzsche's very famous quote, which is that which does not kill us makes us stronger. I think most people have heard that one. Um, but in reality, extreme resilience causes people to persist with unattainable goals within really an unfounded degree of confidence and optimism to the point where they are almost like alienated from reality. Um, resilient people might also stay with a boring or demoralizing job, which we often see. Um, we actually do organizational surveys and find that it, it, depending, it depends on the survey, but it's around 60 to 75% of people say the worst aspect of their job is a tyrannical boss and that they don't actually do anything about it other than suck it up and stay in a toxic culture and really persist for too long. And then the, the last thing I would say is resilient and strong personalities can also get in the way of leadership effectiveness. Um, some of these leaders resemble you know, I I kind of think of the superhero running through a brick wall when they have just walked around it, right? They drive performance, but fail to be strategic and kind of bring people along with them. And then second, the characteristics that make a person resilient are the, if you think of things like ambition and being hard charging and things like that, these are the same characteristics that lead to a lack of self-awareness. So I actually argue that those that are resilient often charge forward and persist while, again, they're sort of alienated from reality. I'm so pleased that you're listening to this podcast. If you like what I do, why not let me do it for you? My audio podcasting services give voice to your success and expertise. Do you have a happy customer? Let them tell their story in their own words. Need to get your subject matter experts heard by new clients? Let's do an interview and we'll discuss the topics at hand. Are you an author, an analyst, a C-suite leader? Let me create a custom podcast for you that gets your message out to a new audience worldwide. Want to find out more? Go to cranegroup.com. That's C-R-A-I-N-E, cranegroup.com. You're listening to Everyday MBA. We are speaking with Derek Lusk from Air Consulting, and we're talking about executive effectiveness. Derek's area of expertise is using data and science to predict leadership effectiveness in the C-suite, how to find it, how to measure it, and how to improve it. Derek, we have reached the action item round of the show. I'm wondering if you could please provide us with three quick action items that our listeners can do to begin to take advantage of your ideas and advice. Yeah, I would say the first thing is is always get feedback from other people, especially if you're a leader in an organization, but really anyone. Get feedback from other people. Human life is a social game. 
no one cares what's going on in, in our own head, right? Other people determine our fate. They promote us, marry us, uh, fire us. So it's nice to know something about what other people think. And you can get some objective data. You can ask for feedback and things like that. I think that's one of the most important parts of human performance. The second thing is evaluate your own personality. Think about your own personality. Sometimes perceptions from other people around us, perceptions from our colleagues aren't right, even though I, you know, I just noted they're vastly consequential, but they can be off a little bit. So everyone should know something about their personality because this will determine which jobs you will be best at. Um, and we evaluate people in organizations all the time. And it's it's really unfortunate how many people are in the wrong job. And that really gets in the way of job satisfaction. And perhaps even more importantly, it gets in the way of life satisfaction. So it's really, really important to know something about our personality, what we're naturally good at, um, what you know our natural areas for development are. And then the third thing I would say is immerse yourself in other cultures. The world is a beautifully diverse place and is becoming more interconnected every day. I think the success of you know future generations is very dependent on their empathy and ability to integrate their identity and values with other people. So let's be more humble and more accepting. Your ability to see through the lens of other people is going to determine you know your personal outcomes, your personal fate, and, and it's also better for the group as well. Well, Derek, it's been great speaking with you today. We're almost out of time, but before I let you go, one last question. What should CEOs, executives, business owners, all of us really, be thinking about now and strategizing for in order to be prepared for the world in five years' time? Yeah, I'll double-click on the empathy point again, because I, I really think the future of leadership and human performance is all about empathy. We have seen this progression in human societies over time since really the advent of agriculture around 13,000 years ago, the, you know, over and over again, the highest functioning societies and businesses will adapt well to the integration of ideologies and be adept at leading multicultural teams and business units around the world and their organization. And they will foster an inclusive um, environment that's also balanced with focusing on results and outperforming the competition. And you know, certainly businesses don't have to plan for this, right? But I think those that do will ultimately outperform their competition. That is Derek Lusk. Look for his new book coming out early next year called Overcoming Bad Leadership in Organizations and find him at Air Consulting. That's A-I-I-R consulting.com. Derek, thank you so much for being our guest today on Everyday MBA. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. That'll do it for this episode of Everyday NBA. And do you want to be a guest on the show? It could happen. Join our Knowledge Leadership Circle and be featured in an interview of your own. Be a guest. Just go to everyday-mba.com slash guest for more information. That's everyday-mba.com slash guest.